Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, AKA Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm excited because today we have Mike Hardy. Mike Hardy is an Ironman, a student pilot, a real estate investor, a sought after speaker, a leadership expert, a fund manager, a business coach. And I could probably keep going, but I, you know what? I'm going to let him introduce himself uh, a little bit more here. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for being here, man. Luke, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, so, so I, I mean, I, I see, I see all these uh, attributes here. Uh, give us a little bit of background, uh, you know, straight from your mouth, right? Obviously, this is the PR version of of everything, and you know, people always like to make our our lives look look and sound so cool. But it sounds like you have a pretty cool life. So let's let's chat a little bit about that, man. You know, I figure we have we have uh, one run at this life. We might as well maximize it on on every single level. So that's that is the goal. That's the goal. But. Yep. I'm um, first a husband and father, married 25 years. I've got four kids, 21, 19, 16, and 14. We're actually up in Big Bear Lake right now, some family time. So uh, love the family time. On the work front, I've been in the mortgage banking space for about 20 years, and I've been a real estate investor for about 15 years as well. And uh, just love everything about real estate and mortgage I actually love everything about the mortgage business, except actually doing loans themselves. Like the (laughs) further you get into the process, the less I like it, but the marketing of it, just the the complexities of it, the opportunities, just the cycles we go through economically, that stuff's fascinating to me. So all things real estate and mortgage related is just something that's a sweet spot for me. And then I'm super driven personally. So yeah, I had Ironman was a bucket list. I did did that a couple of years ago climb Mount Whitney and Shasta and some other things. It's just keeps, keeps me alive. I figure like the thought process is how can, how can people be fully alive? I think most people just exist through life and mm-hmm. I don't think that's why we're on this planet. So yeah, that's a little bit, a little bit of background there. Love it, man. Love it. So, so give us some context as to what got you into the industry and what has the journey looked like? You know, sometimes I'll bring this up because I really do like to see kind of the, the come up story, right? Cause everybody has a different story. And most of the time, the story isn't like, hey, you know what? I woke up one day and I was rich, right? I woke up one day and I was successful. So what did that look like? Uh, you know, what was that journey from, you know, getting started 20, 25 years ago and and kind of to where you are today? It's like, a you know, really top 1% of the industry. Absolutely. So it started a little bit of a different path. I was a, a pre-med um, undergraduate major and mm-hmm. Realized through, I think my junior year, halfway through, that I just really had zero desire to go to medical school and go into the become a physician. So I picked up a business minor and finished my degree and worked as a became a financial advisor. Got my Series Seven and uh, sixty five and the the insurance licensing, life and health, and did that for about five or six years. And during that process, I ended up doing a, some joint marketing with a friend of mine that was in the mortgage banking space and. That was my introduction to the world. It was just was kind of lunches and marketing and just young guys wanting to take over the world and all these ambitions and sort of got this glimpse into the mortgage world through his eyes. And I started realizing that there was, in my mind, it was kind of like a blue ocean strategy, the ability to move into the mortgage banking world and not change, not take off my hat as a financial advisor, but help people manage debt and build wealth through real estate. And so like a sweet spot for me is real estate numbers and people and like that's the mortgage world and so that's kind of how all this started and how i got started in mortgage i think it was 2002 that i first sort of ventured in and put my series seven on the shelf and said all right let's go this direction and have it look back nice nice and it was uh you started making money the first day huh yeah, it was, I caught the front of a wave that was pretty significant. And I was, you know, so younger at the time, didn't didn't realize the, didn't have the full appreciation for economic cycles and trends that I obviously I do now, but it was, I just had so much business right out of the gate with a little bit of a different approach that I was going to, I wanted to keep doing the financial advising and be in the mortgage space at the same time. And I pretty quickly realized that being good at both wasn't going to be possible. And so- sure decided to part ways with my broker dealer and just, just push forward on the mortgage side. 
Love it. Love it. And and obviously you've been through a, a couple cycles uh, over the years, right? I mean, if you started in 2002, that means, you know, you hit 2007, eight, and now we're in obviously another, another cycle here. So what, like, what have you learned from going through those cycles as well, you know, in the midst of kind of, you know, your long career, like what have those things kind of taught you or these, these times? Yeah. Uh, S no, it's a great question. You know, I think uh first lesson that comes to mind is just because things are working out well doesn't mean you're doing a great job at what you're doing. And mm-hmm. for a while I thought I was really good at stuff until we had a cycle change. And then I realized, you know what, I was just I had the wind at my back for a while. So there's a big difference, I think, between being what is it? Warren Buffett says when the tide goes out, everyone can see who's been swimming naked. And so I was exposed the first cycle, right? I was Uh swimming naked, mostly naked, I should say, you know, and I did learn that uh, there's a big difference between being an investor uh, or a businessman compared to just being somebody that happens to be doing well for a season. Sure. And I think that's something that probably a lot of people are learning right now. I mean, especially after you know, yeah, it's been pretty good for the last 12 years, but it was really good for the last two, right? It was just like phenomenal. And then to come into a season like this and even top producers, even people that were crushing it, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years are, are feeling it. Right. And so you can see that. So what have you like, what, what, so you learned those lessons in that first season, what, what changed for like, you know, being more prepared for something like this season? Sure. No, it's a great question. Well, my dad taught me something when I was young, or at least he said the words and they've become meaningful over the years. But he said, markets can stay irrational longer than most people can stay solvent. So plan for irrational times. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn that lesson through 2008 and 9 and 10. And so this season, I'm ready for it. I mean, it's my stress level is knee high instead of over my head, just because I was fully prepared. I didn't expect the cycle to swing in this fast, but that said, it was not, it's not something that I'm not ready for both personally and professionally. So that was one lesson that comes to mind is, is uh, just to be prepared for the cycles. But I think a lot of it too, is a mindset difference. And so Mm -hmm. like in my mind, I like to categorize, I think there's four different levels of thinking and I'll just share with you. Like one is the hustler. And a lot of people in the mortgage banking and the real estate space, they're hustlers. And the hustler's thinking, how do I have a great month? And then the next level of thinking is the thinking of an entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur is thinking through, how do I set up systems in my business so I can have a good year? And then the next level of thinking is, let's call it the business owner, the CEO. And that thinking is, how do we navigate the trends and win over five to seven to 10 years and position for for cycles that will come from time to time. And then the fourth level of thinking, let's call it like the emperor thinking. And that the emperor thinks, how do I win generationally? How do I create legacy? How do I have like meaningful impact on others that and have influence that's going to be, you know, have a ripple effect for generations? And so, you know, I was a hustler back in, you know, 2002 to 2000 through the Great Recession. And so that's been a progression is to is to move. And I'm by no means am I emperor thinking. I mean, I get glimpses of it. It's just, it's another world. There's always like another level to grow into. But yeah, in my mind, that's how I categorize it to think. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't all have seasons of being hustlers and seasons of being entrepreneurs, but always moving back to how can I spend more time in the CEO and business owner mindset so that I can plan and prepare for these seasons that are going to come and go. I mean, we've got cycles that span all throughout recorded history and you can even see patterns and even get in front of them sometimes with enough foresight. But I think that's helped me. That's I'm a different version today than I was back in the past, partially by being intentional about thinking like a business owner. And I love that. That's uh, I've never heard it said that way. I don't know if maybe you came up with that yourself, but uh, I think that's incredible because I, I do, I agree. There's there's a lot of people, you know, and and I think in any entrepreneurial space, really, that that that's the hustle, the hustle mentality that like, I work every day, what's a day off, things like that. And I think there's some toxicity there, too. They glorify hard work. And yes, hard work is super important. But then you, you know, how many people do you see that, you know, don't stay married, or they're or they have, you know, alcoholic or whatever, they do things that are like, you know, maybe that that are come from that right so i do think that there's value in changing the way you perceive it and there is seasons you talked about it like there's seasons where we have to hustle like it just is what it is you start a new venture 
you come into a market like today, like you kind of have to be a little bit of a hustler if you, if you weren't prepared, right? Like you have to. And so I, I do, I love that. And like, so when, when you think about it that way, like, is there ways to kind of level up those thinking or like, what's a good way to kind of take that next step to get to that next level, you know, when it comes to taking those different steps, right? You know, there's, I'll tell you one of, this is something that ended up being a surprise to me, but I follow a process every morning that's called the core four. And I went through a program called Warrior Week a number of years back. I've actually been through two of them, but it was it's a coaching program. And something that that they taught me was every single morning to have to follow the core four process. And the core four, it's like four different areas of life. So this is something that's been foundational for me for like six, seven years now. That every single day helps me create the space to think bigger not just to like manage the challenges of today, but also take the time to think into tomorrow. I think it's Benjamin Franklin had a saying, which is the eyes of the master will do more than both of his hands. And so every single day, part of the core four process for me is to take some time to just sit in silence and think like everyone works hard, but, and everyone has, but, but how many people like think hard? I mean, take the time to spend time really thinking into the future. It's just something that's kind of non-existent in our culture. We're all so reactive. Mm. And so that's a discipline for me because it doesn't come naturally. I have to like work and like, all right, I, I need to just take time out and spend time in thinking and with, you know, with my journal and writing out notes and what are the things that are stressing me out? What are the problems that are existing? Where are the opportunities that I see in the future? And then once a week, I'll go through a process called, it's called the general's tent is the process. It's about a 45 minute process to go through and review the past week, look into the future answer some questions that are both internal, reflective and external. Some of them internal, like who do, who do I need to forgive? You know, who do I need to ask for forgiveness from? What were the big wins for last week? You know, what are the opportunities that are in front of me that I need to create, make time for? Just there's about 10 to 15 questions that I'll go through and answer and to get prepped for the next week. So a lot of these things come down to like the daily disciplines that are not fun. They don't take tons of time, but in my mind, sure. it's no different than like I exercise. It's no different than exercise, but how do I like have extra mental exercise in a way that I know I'm creating a better future by those disciplines? That's awesome, man. I, uh, it's something I struggle with and, and it's something that I, that I do try to intentionally create that time to, to think, but sometimes you just feel like you're, it almost feels like a waste of time. And I think that comes from a little bit of that hustler mentality, right? Like shifting into being that more of like visionary and CEO and having teams and things like that. Like people need that vision, especially if you are growing a team, right? Like I, I do think that, you know, there's different levels. Uh, we talked about this off, off air, but there's different levels to this. Or, you know, you just talked about a couple minutes ago. It's like, there's different levels to like leadership and growth and all these things. And like, there's never going to be that like end line. But I think uh, as you kind of grow, there's, there's new things, new, I mean, something I've learned over the years, like a couple years ago, I thought, like you said, I thought I was, you know, the best. I thought I could, you know, figure everything out. And then I, you know, every time that happens, I get humbled and uh, it's, it's always a good learning experience. Uh, looking back, it's not a great experience going through the hard times, but uh, it's always a good, a, a good way to grow through those times. Um, and I do think that part of it comes down to, yeah, being reactive and just thinking, you know, better, like, you know, maybe sitting down and doing strengths and things. You called that the, uh, you said the core four. That's what you call it. Core four. Oh, there's four different areas. There's the the body side the being side, the balance, and then the business. Mm -hmm. And so each of those four, every single day, I make sure that I do something meaningful to move those four areas, almost like four tires of a car in a sense. So it's like, if you want to have, if you want to be able to drive and drive fast, all four tires have to be pumped up. And I've, something that bothered me for a long time is I, I see a lot of guys that were killing it in business, but their health was a train wreck sure. or the family was just a disaster. What, I mean, whatever it is, it's just, and so the thought process was, especially for just being a driven individual, you know, how, how can I be balanced and balanced in a way where no one area of life will hold me back in any area that I want to go in, in a sense, mm -hmm. not too much of a slave to the business. You know, I want to be like spiritually um, and emotionally grounded. I want to be physically healthy so I can do anything at any time without you know, risking injury or missing an opportunity for a normal an experience. And then on the business front, the business side's interesting. It's called, there's two different sub areas of it. It's called discover and declare on the business front. So every single day, I'm going to spend a little bit of time learning something about my craft that will make me a better businessman. And then I'm going to declare that, teach that in the marketplace so that I am anchoring a lesson in my own life 
and then becoming a thought leader because I'm helping others grow at the same time. So that's been just something that's been a staple in my, you know, diet, so to speak, for for about six, seven years now, eight years now. And I think it's provided a really good foundation. And yeah, it's it's something that I that I I swear by just because uh it's been it's kept me from like driving off a cliff without it would protect me from me, so to speak, because I know right. how like driven and wired I am. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are maybe, maybe the same way. Yeah. I think, I think for most people that are yeah entrepreneur type people, like it's easy, the business side, it's not, it's easy, but like, it's easy to get like lost in the work, but then, you know, you come home and you give your second best to your family and you give your leftovers to everybody else. Right. I mean, you, you give your best every, to, to the business and then you kind of bring your leftovers and it's, it's something that I face every day. And I even remember one time, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm building this for you guys. I said to my wife and my wife's like, you haven't even been here for two years. I was like, Ooh. So, I mean, you know, and obviously I'm not, not perfect by any means. I, I still fall into the trap of, of just, you know, getting sucked into work and, you know, checking my phone all the time and things like that. And so it's, it's something I'm working on, but it it is something that I do think that it, that's the that's the easier part. It's the easier because it's like it's almost like the sexier and funner part of like, hey, you're you're solving problems every day. And as entrepreneurs, we're ultimately problem solvers, right? Like we love to solve right. problems, and like sometimes we create problems just so that we can solve them. You know, I do love it, and that's that's a that's a fantastic. I'm gonna have to re-listen to this uh, episode a couple of times because I think you've been dropping a lot of uh, really good nuggets there. And that that, that program you talked about, that's uh, the Garrett Garrett White, right? That's the Garrett, Garrett White. White program. He's, he's also on a short list with Todd Duncan of meaningful mentors to me. He's been, uh, yeah, if you know, you know, Garrett, I've been a pretty much everything he's had available. I've been a, a part of for the last, you know, six or seven years. I thought like, it's been super helpful and a great framework for me. Love it, man. Yeah. And, and, and he's, you know, obviously the, he's a, he's an intense, intense guy, but, um, from, from what I've heard, if you, if you buy any of his programs, he'll do whatever it takes to like get your results. It's like I've heard, he's just like obsessed with results. So uh, that's uh, that's a good that's a good thing to know. So cool, man. Um, you know, I, I love all that stuff. I think this is one of the biggest things that uh, you know, especially in a market like now, like the the, the one thing that you can control because you can't control rates, you can't control inventory shortages, you can't control any of those things. So I do think that having some of these practices that you talked about are are a way for you to, you know, kind of mitigate the circumstances and to keep yourself sane in a market that's a little bit insane. The truth is, it's a little, it's a little crazy how quickly you know rates went from. Three percent to six, seven percent, right? It's 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 pretty insane. But having those things and keeping staying grounded, and also having the the foundations and the the daily actions and practices uh, are are going to go a long way. So, how do you suggest, or or how how does someone that's a loan officer, maybe they're newer to the business, maybe they haven't had those same foundations? How do you suggest people like get into those habits of of doing these actions, or or what would be the first thing you would start with? So at first, in my mind, it starts from a belief system. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of us are, we all as human beings operate somewhat subconsciously where we're just driven. So we all have an internal thermostat that is reflective of the belief of the value that we bring in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's almost silly for somebody to spend a whole lot of time on a whole bunch of activities if they're not healthy on the inside. And they don't gotcha. believe that they bring worth and value and make a difference in the lives of others. So the very first thing is to cross check the internal belief system and see if there's some faulty wiring there that needs to be course corrected. So, you know, and the the thought is that my opinion is the outside is a always going to be a reflection of the inside over time. And so if we're healthy on the inside, and part of that is how we think and how the value we bring in the marketplace. And I like to ask the question, like, would you do business with you? And why? And most people can't answer that or not confidently. And so the first thing is getting really clear on who you are, what you want in life, like why you want that. And then would you do business with you and sort of answer some of those internal questions. And once those are clear, in my mind, it's amazing how fast when we get clear on the inside, opportunities just open up on the outside. So that's the first Mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind as you ask that question. Man, that's that's fantastic. It's something that, and and I feel like you have to continually do that because it's something that I thought I had worked through a lot of stuff, and then like this year, I I was working with a mindset coach, or really it was productivity coach, but it was kind of came down to the the core beliefs and things like that is is what was holding me back from certain actions, and like you know even one of the one of my sort of long time beliefs is that like I'm I'm typically a like a devil's advocate, right? I'm like 
and I'm always going to be like kind of combative. And I realized that that was actually holding me back from stepping into leadership and holding people accountable because I, I just kind of like, I didn't want to become what I hated most, which was like a gas authority. I guess I didn't like authority. I didn't really even notice. I didn't even know because I wasn't like outright defiant, I guess, authority, but uh, it just was interesting to kind of break through and learn, learn things like that, that, that I thought wasn't an issue. Right. And, and so it's interesting because like every level is like every time you're doing new things, you're managing people, you're going to learn skills. You're going to learn things that about yourself that maybe you didn't know. Um, and, and a lot of our programming is comes from early on. So I do believe those, those beliefs are, are key and pivotal to us actually breaking through. Cause I, I will say that that's always been the biggest thing for me is, are we, I don't know. It's it, we're typically our own worst enemy. Um, we're typically going to hold ourselves back because we're, I mean, we're really capable of whatever we want at the end of the day. I mean, most of us, right. So I think that's huge. And, and it's, it's, I like the way you broke it down because working on the internal stuff is the the stuff that like most people don't want to do. Right. Like, especially, you know, in a male, male dominated industry as well. Right. Like it's not something that male, you know, males, the emotional intelligence is probably one of the lower, the lower pieces on that sort of, uh, skills that people need to have in this industry, but really it's one of the, the best things you can do for your own sanity at the end of the day. Yeah, I think so. And, and I was talking about the general's tent earlier today and you just reminded me, this is from the, I think this is from the, the art of war by Sunza. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is a couple things come to mind. It's see if I can get this right. It's vision without action is a daydream. And then action mm-hmm. without vision is a nightmare. And so usually people fall into like one of those two camps. They're they're either in the daydream camp or in the nightmare camp because there's all this action, but there's no clear vision. And then there's one more part in there, which is strategy without tactics is the slow course to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And so like the combination of like the right tactics, the right strategy, the right vision, the right actions, like all these coming together. But I think something fascinating, this is only a recent revelation for me, but if we're going to create anything in life, we have to create it twice. Like we have to create it in our mind first, like a clear picture of what we want in the energy side. And then we can create it through our actions. And, and I think like, that's something I'm, I'm usually like a ready fire aim guy. And so I've had to like, you know, like, all right, I gotta, I gotta reel it in. I need to spend time thinking. I need to look into the future. I need to see are the actions that I'm taking based on some, you know, psychological need for this, that, or the other, or is this really a healthy strategy to employ? But it's almost like I, I kind of liken it to in business. Like if you're going to go drive somewhere for, you know, you got to drive to your buddy's house, you're not quite sure the best route to take. Like there's one version of me. I just want to get in the car and go as fast as possible. But I realize if I take 60 set, I mean, before GPS, let's say if sure. I were to take, 60 seconds and just think through or even check GPS to see like, what's the best route to go. Sometimes that 60 seconds to a couple minutes of planning can save, you know, a major headache down the line. And that's an internal discipline that has to get in there. And so, you know, I think in this journey of life, especially being a loan officer, loan officers are wired to just react over and over and over and over again, sometimes and often to our own detriment. I think that's where we have to be careful. I love that. And and I guess we could kind of segue into that sort of concept of the reaction, because I do think so many people are, they're like, they're definitely afraid of like not responding instantly, right? Like they think they need to respond to everything instantly, text message, emails, all those types of things. Like, is that something that, that you suggest doing, or do you suggest kind of batching that into like times where they do respond and things like that? Cause I know it's, it's hard. It's hard in this industry. Like people kind of expect things, especially if you train them that way. Yeah, I don't think that that's necessary. I think that I think that that should be the exception, not the norm. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at everything in terms of Pareto's law of 80/20. You know, 80% of our problems come from 20% of our actions and mm-hmm. you know, 80% of our business comes from 20% of our partners and just like 80/20 everything in life, but from a reaction standpoint, especially in, on the loan officer side, well, for whatever reason we're hardwired to think in terms of scarcity not abundance. That if I don't react right away to whatever the issue is, the issue is we we end up as an industry training ourselves to never go deep and never build systems. Because right. I mean, I like to think of it just being a former financial advisor that I want to run a firm, not a shop. And there's only very select times, and it's going to be like an 80-20 of an 80-20 to 
you know, borrow something from Todd. He probably talked about on his last interview with Todd Duncan. It's probably only 4% of the time that you actually need to react, like truly react right away. The other 96% of the time, it can fall into whatever the system is. Mm -hmm. And I had a mentor of mine years ago. um, Mike Frank was his name. He taught me something that was invaluable. And he said, if you want to earn a living, be custom. And when I say be custom, like you can be reactive too. But if you want to just earn a good living, you just be custom. And if you bring value to the world and you've got a, a, a business plan, you'll do fine. But if you really want to build wealth and if you want to build a business, you have to create a system and you create systems for everything. And the reaction time should be a very small portion of that system. So like when when I'm when I'm doing things, I rarely react right away. And it's got to be a very short list of people that are going to get me to react right away. And outside of that, it's going to fall into the system. And that allows my mind to be free. And the people that react all the time, they there's opportunities everywhere that float right by because we're so busy reacting to whatever's in front of us that we don't get to take time to like be scanning the horizon and see what's what's available. Yeah, that's 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 great. And uh, systems is, is huge. Uh, one of the things that I tell my team is, well, you know, we don't run an emergency room, right? Like no one's going to die if we don't respond right away. So it's and then it's I don't even remember why I got that from I know I didn't make that up. But I, I, I think that concept is, is huge, because I think we just get programmed with this instant gratification. I mean, social media, things like that, we get that instant feedback. And so I think the other thing too, is people start off that way. But like, if you don't build those sort of like barriers and don't set expectations and things like that, like, yeah, those people are going to treat you like that. And they're going to think because, but that's because that's how you've told them it's, it's okay for them to treat you, right? Like sending that, texting you at nine o'clock at night and expecting you to respond. Like, otherwise they're going to send that, you know, pre-approval or that, that client to another loan officer that will respond at nine o'clock at night. That's not, I mean, personally, that's not someone that I would want to partner with if I was a loan officer, you know what I mean? Like, why would you want to partner with someone like that? That is that is mistreating you. And and yeah, obviously there's exceptions to the rule, right? Like maybe someone really desperately needs something, but that's typically a product of someone who doesn't run their business well, is they think that they need to get something at, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night when, and again, you know, unless it's like closing that next day and something really got dropped, like there shouldn't be any reason for people to do that. If the system is set up right, then the need to be reactive outside of certain windows of time is extremely rare. That's number one. Number two, saying I really like is what what you allow in life is what will continue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people just allow things and they just don't have healthy boundaries. And sure. I think that having healthy boundaries is one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves because when you have boundaries in place, you actually get your life back. And I, this is crazy to me. I think most people like think about this for a second. Most people get into the mortgage business in search of freedom. Right. Like financially, time-wise, and then they end up becoming a slave to the business. Makes no sense, whatever. Most entrepreneurs do that, like in general. Most entrepreneurs, that's right. They become a slave. And it's because, you know, they build the habits of being a slave during the necessary building time, like Todd Duncan talks about this, the launch time, 90-day burn, build in some unhealthy habits and never unwind them. And so, you know, I've, I've met lots of loan officers that they're, they're, you know, they've been in the business 15 years, but they've really been in it one year, 15 times. Like they haven't right. built the systems to be able to build a business and win and be at minimum an entrepreneur, if not a business owner. Right. I, I agree. I think there's most people are like, they're, it's just a, it's the very transactional sort of mindset of like, Hey, like I need to get today's business, but not thinking about what's the long-term plan. And, and how do I build a pipeline for the future? How do I, how do I create systems that are going to allow me to you know, save my time. And we talk about this all the time, SOPs, um, you know, processes. I mean, it's, it's funny because I'm not, I'm not a process oriented person in, in general. Like it's just not my sort of my strong suit, but I've learned to develop those things because I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of lazy. Like I want to try to do things as quickly as, as like simple as possible. So I try to do things one time I document it and I'm like someone else on my team, go do this. Right. But it's like, it just, I had to develop that process. Like here's good. Here's a brain dump and and someone else do this for me or make it as simple as possible or as little steps as possible. But most people don't stop to think about that. And it's hard because it is something that's not typically natural for most, most people that are, most people that are salespeople. I mean, like I mentioned, is, are, are going to be people that are less detail oriented, more people oriented, right? So they're going to have less 
inclination to do those things like create systems and processes and be operations minded, but those things are what's going to, you know, create real freedom and growth and opportunities to hire people and, you know, help people and help more people with, you know, solve, solve the problem of, you know, becoming a homeowner. So let's, let's chat a little bit about, you built a hundred million dollar business over five years. Like, what would you like now that we're coming into a market like this, like, what does that look like? You know, are you able to kind of do the same things or are you working harder? What, what's that kind of look like in a market like we're in today? Oh yeah. So I'll speak to that last year. So last year was the first year that I cracked a hundred million as a producer. And the year prior was, I think 80, uh, 80 million. And before that, I think it was in the sixties. And so this year, 2022 uh, will end right about, I want to say 65, about 65 million. So it'll be off, mm-hmm. you know, off by about a third. So, but again, <laughs> it's funny. I, I think I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm more worried about setting up my business to win in 2023 through like 2026, 2027. And what I've, what I've noticed is that I think that there's different seasons. There's seasons in business of harvest, and then there's seasons in business of like tilling the soil and planting seeds. Mm -hmm. And I have never seen a better time for planting seeds than the business, than the, than the, the market we're in right now. Hands down, even better than 2008, 2009 for a couple of different reasons. So I look at, am I maximizing the opportunity that's in front of me today, regardless of what the harvest looks like? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense to spend time trying to harvest if there's nothing there to harvest. Sure. I mean, yeah, you got it. Like, and what is a saying? It's, this is like a good businessman needs to do both the fishing for today and the farming to feed him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all got so accustomed to fish just jumping in the boat that nobody farmed for right. a while. So, so now, now it's a matter of how do I be excellent at seed planting that will, so I can manage the short term and keep enough revenue and volume coming in to be able to get, you know, keep everything moving the right direction and, and build out crucial infrastructure so that we can maximize the opportunity on a wave of purchase business that will be the largest that we've ever seen historically based on the millennial generation. I study demographics Mm -hmm. um, that will be from now through like 2035 and, you know, more meaningful for my timeline, kind of for the next like five to seven years. So, you know, when I say that it's, yeah, it's like, shoot, I'm, I hate going backwards. Like I detest it. I loathe going backwards. So the fact that we've gone from a hundred million dollar group to, you know, to, to 65. And then as my, my collective group, um, I I run a, run a group, uh, we went from about 500 million to shoot. I want to say it was just over 200 million. So we've, you know, we're, we're less than 50% of the volume that we were in my personal book and my team, 65%. That's not fun, but what is fun is how we're setting up to win massively for the next couple of years. And so that's where my focus has been. I love that. And and I think that's uh, huge. I mean, it's one of the things that like, I mean, if you didn't set up those systems and processes in 2020 and 21, when everything was good, I mean, realistically, everybody was probably working far too many hours in those, those years anyway. So it was kind of hard to do anything. So this is the opportunity to revamp your systems to, I mean, you talk about seed planting, you know, go, go figure out how to give more value to realtors, uh, go figure out how to give more value to attorneys and, you know, divorce attorneys and, you know, like figure out different products and different marketing strategies. There's a lot of different things that you can do. And we live in a, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, but like, you know, we live in a time where it's probably the easiest time ever to network with people. Like we can literally network online. My whole business was created off of basically networking on social media. And so that is, that's, what's incredible about the, the day and age we live in. I could literally sit in my freaking pajamas and network with people all across the country and make a bunch of money. Um, and, 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 you know, when you got started, you can do that, right. In 2002, you weren't going on social media. You had to probably go out go to BNI's, go to those little, you know, whatever networking events, like go actually see people and have coffee. So I do think that's another thing that we have now that we never have, like, Time to, to double down, triple down, quadruple down on social and videos and content. Go ahead. So no, I was going to say, case in point, I'm up in Big Bear, family vacation. They know I'm working a half day today. And today on Zoom, had a uh, meeting with a new part, new realtor partner that has about 50 closings a year that we're, that we're starting to do business with on Zoom. 
and then did a state of the housing presentation comparing 2008 to 2023 similarities, similarities and differences. We call it facts, not feelings mm-hmm. to 120 people registered. And now we have our conversation and that's going to be my day in zoom in big on big bear. And then after this, I'll, you know, head off to the village and meet the family. Never could have done that before. The efficiencies are mind blowing, mind blowing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I was just in Tahoe uh, two weeks ago, pretty much doing the same thing, doing some work while I was there. And uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense, um, but it's, it's fun. I mean, you can, you can basically build your business from anywhere. And and I think so many people get stuck in that mentality that they have to be so hyper-local. And I do think that we're in a, you know, especially if you're a loan officer, like, and you're licensed statewide or licensed in multiple States, you have the opportunity to build relationships with people across massive areas. Like you can't really do that as a real estate agent. Cause you got to go show houses. Right. But like, as a loan officer, you don't need that. Like you can still build relationships with people over zoom. I mean, I pretty much haven't met, I haven't met most of my, my team in person that, that literally are on my team because they're all across the U S it's a pretty interesting time we live in. Uh, and, and obviously you can even meet with realtors all across the, all across the country and across the States and, and network with, you know, really high quality, uh, individuals too. Like how else can you network with people that, you know, like Mike and, and, uh, you know, people like that, right. Like, you know, Todd Duncan was on the podcast, right. Like if social media allows you to have those conversations with people that maybe you wouldn't have access to if you were to, you know, try to see them in person because they're busy, right. Like, but they can shoot you a quick message back, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of opportunity out there that I think we're missing out on for sure. Yep. I, I agree. The efficiencies are, I'm still a little bit in awe. I mean, that's the, there's a Einstein saying I like, which is with every problem is an opportunity so great that it dwarfs the problem itself. And I think one of the challenges we all ran into is we had to, we got forced into the efficiencies of zoom. It was off my radar a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, I got to figure this game out because otherwise, you know, we can't, you can't really do this over the phone or by text and I can't see people. Right. So now within that year time, it'll, it'll change business forever. I mean, it already, it already is, but I just, I was thinking about it as you asked the questions to be, to be able to have the level of impact and reach in a couple of hour window from a vacation spot is, is, is mind blowing. It's mind blowing. So Yep. That's the question is uh, with every challenge, like where's the gift in it? And then do we, do we maximize it and do we leverage it for, for uh, you know, the collective benefit? So I agree with you. Yeah. On that one. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah. I know you, you kind of talked about, you know, doing some things with some realtors, like how do you get that the realtor to kind of reach out to you? I mean, kind of leave with, uh, with some sort of tactics on, on how to get realtors to give you some more business. And then I also do want to touch on your, uh, on your Cyrus opportunity zone. We'll get there in a second, but let's, let's, let's touch on that first. How do you get the realtors to call you or how are you, how are you marketing differently to, to realtors to, to get them to call you? You know, part of it is to like, I follow this process for, I mean, it's the behavioral science side of why people make the decisions they make. And first it's to understand the pain and the problem that real estate professionals are facing in this market. And then once I'm clear on the pain and the problem, then I can walk through the possibility and the path that we have to be able to help solve that pain and that problem. So, you know, that that's that's the first start is get really who do I want to serve and what are, what are the pain, pain and problem point key points that they've got in their life right now. So one of them I know is that there's so many real estate professionals that their buyers are confused and they're afraid of the housing market. And sure. so my thought process was I'm going to start presenting on, again, I had to figure out the whole webinar game, but I'm going to start presenting publicly, systematically, what does 2023 look like compared to 2008? What's the same? What's Is it safe to buy? What do we Love expect it. for values? What are the opportunities that exist? And then arm the real estate professionals that we're working with and others that we want to be working with. And then also reach out to all of our past clients and past prospects with the same message, heavy on the education for a very relevant topic. And so that's been a way of attracting the right people into, you know, our world, so to speak. Sure. And we do this talk and it's about 45 minutes. We did one earlier today. And, and then, and it's, I'm going to say like, 90%, 95% educational, 5%, you know, here's who we are, what we do, here's what sets us apart, sort of our unique value proposition. Sure. And it's starting to go viral. Like that's the cool part. So 
Now, Love my it. thought process, it's kind of like 80-20 marketing. They talk about rack the shotgun. I want to attract the right people that have, I, I look at like these three different C's, people with the right character, people that are competent, and people that care, like truly care about those around, not just themselves, but around, but around them and, and find like-minded people, but do that efficiently through our educational series. So that's been one way of attracting new real estate professionals, financial advisors, and then future clients to, to our, to our group. And and when you're doing these, and when you're doing these presentations, I think one of the things that a lot of loan officers do is, and I think this is people in general, even uh, as a marketer, like people is Russell Brunson calls it techno babble, right? Like the, you use words that they don't understand. Right. So how do you sort of create a presentation that's for lack of a better word, boring, right? It's boring information. It's super important, but like, how do you create something like that? That's like easy to understand. It's exciting for people to sit around for 45 minutes and, and take this sort of stuff in. Cause I, as, as I can tell, like I'm, I'm listening to you speak, like you have a lot of, you know, cool ways of like, you know, communicating this information you talk about the four c's we talked about like we got all these i don't they're not acronyms but they're whatever they're called uh i can't think of the word but you know you're using these things that make it easy to understand so how do you uh sort of do that in a way that that presents something that's valuable but also easy to understand sorry yeah totally it's it's infographics um like i've it took it took forever to figure out the obvious but you know i kind of think in numbers and but when i can put a picture to the numbers it, it, it's obvious. Right. And so we create these really obvious infographics where people can Mm. say, I get it. And I remember hearing at one, one point that the best speakers have about 50% of their content is in story form. And then, uh, I can't remember, I can't remember the rest. I just remember their story. So we incorporate stories that will be relevant to the infographics. And I mean, the feedback we get is really good. We've actually been mentioned in like, you know, a couple of different really key news news uh, venues and publications nice. for this now. But it. it's just, I want it to be kind of like a junior high to maybe freshman, sophomore level presentation with infographics. Right. And then in the Q&A, we can get deep into the weeds if if people want that. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, and I think that's the hard part because um, one of the things that I, I talked about all the time is, is the curse of knowledge, right? I think so many times people... Uh, people, um, you know, assume everybody knows what they know. And the truth is like the consumer knows nothing about it. And honestly, realtors don't really know much about the mortgage process either. Like some of them might, but the majority of them don't really know a ton about the mortgage process either. So trying to simplify it. And if you are doing presentations, thinking about how can you make this captivating and not just go drone on for 45 minutes about the MMI, PPI, whatever, whatever it is, like, you know, like type of like, nobody cares about that stuff. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, LTV, this, that, and the other DTI. It's just like, no, that's not that's not going to work. So you I know, like that you've I, been able to do that. I think there's 80-20 there also. Like 80% of the people, they just want to know, are you an expert? Can I trust you? Do you care about me? I mean, that's how I am. When I find, if I'm going to do business with somebody, I don't want to know exhaustively their business. I just want to know those, those three things. Are you trustworthy? Are you an expert? And do you care about my situation? And once I'm, and, and is there value? Is there value with whatever the charge is? Once those are clear in my mind, I'm, I'm good. Let's let's right. roll. Just tell me where to sign and what I need to do next. And so this entire presentation, that's what we want to showcase. Expertise, value. We care about doing right for the client. We have a very clear value proposition. And so that's been our, that's been our structure. That's awesome, man. Love mm-hmm. it. And uh, we could talk about that all day, but let's let's just quickly touch on... I wanted to talk about this because you are also the principal and co-founder of Cyrus Opportunity Zone Fund. And I told you we were going to touch on it. Now we've gone real long, but uh, let's let's briefly touch on that if you got a couple of minutes here to explain that. Sure. Happy to. Well, one of the one of the I've been in real estate for a while, and one of the challenges is how to mitigate uh capital gains tax, you know, sure. outside of a 1031 exchange. And so um I uncovered a couple of years ago this sort of obscure concept called the opportunity zone as part of the 2017 tax act. And I'll give you like the super simple version of it just for time's sake, but it's 25% of each state is designated as an opportunity zone. And if you invest in a qualified opportunity zone fund, which we've created, if you invest in a fund and then you buy a a certain percentage of the assets go into an opportunity zone area. You attract capital into underdeveloped areas. 
all of the growth of that fund, first of all, you defer paying any capital gains until 2027. And all of the growth that takes place in that fund will exit tax-free, very much like a Roth IRA. Okay. So there's like once in a century tax benefits. So the window is only open through 2026. Okay. okay? And so it was, uh, I think it was 2018 to 2026 for whatever reason. But long story short, I have some fund management background just because of my financial planning background. We did a bunch of projects through the Great Recession. And so established the fund about two years ago. And uh, it's, it's been a home run. Like it's, it's just, it's like the world's best kept secret when it comes to tax advantaged investing in real estate. And so, and, and here's the thing, like all of the ultra elite do this family offices, like the folks that have, you know, that are uber wealthy, they all do this. It just never makes its way down to main street. And so we've set this up so that the investor that has maybe a blown 1031 exchange, busted 1031 exchange, they have an alternative option that is really good. So they don't have to pay the capital gains. They they defer the tax and they have tax-free growth. So that's what we put in place. And it's been like, I think there's, you know, if I cut cut to the chase, when it comes to money, there's making money, keeping money and growing money are very different mindsets and disciplines. Right. And I think in the mortgage space, a lot of people, at least for a while, they made a bunch of money, but why do mortgage professionals make so much money, but not build wealth? Like that makes no sense to me at all. If you like do a cross-section and pull, you know, sure. net worth of, of originators. So what's important to me is to help mortgage professionals also build wealth. And then we've taken this and leveraged it as a way to attract real estate, like-minded real estate partners. That is a different conversation than, Hey, we're really good at loans and we can close quick and we can upfront underwrite, you know, and all the, all the usual stuff. So sure. that's the, with the education series and then the the real estate opportunity zone fund. It's just a different conversation. And I think that's something that real estate professionals are craving is how, I mean, the same challenges that originators have. They might do a bunch of volume, but very few of them actually become investors and build wealth. And right. so that's what our unique prop, value proposition is. We'll help our real estate professionals also figure this game out so that they can build wealth for themselves, not just their clients. Man, that's, that's incredible. So there's a, a lot of opportunity out there, man. And we, I feel like we could talk about this for another hour here, but uh, you know, this, this has been one of, one of my favorite, favorite podcasts, man. So this was a great, a uh, great episode and uh, you know, thank you so much for being here. If someone wanted to learn a little bit more about your fund uh, or just kind of connect with you, like do you have any resources that uh, someone could, could kind of connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. The fund, I'll give the website for the fund or could drop in the chat, but it's it's www.cyrusozfund.com is the website. And um it's you know kind of gives the cliff notes on on um how that's an advantage for folks that have capital gains and uh, for especially for longer term passive investors in real estate, huge tax advantage. And then with the, you know, so really the two things that I'm focused on, most of my time is on the mortgage banking front as well, growing our group, but it's mike.hardy at churchillmortgage.com is my email address if someone has questions. But I love the mindset piece and a lot of the stuff that I think is instrumental on a foundational level, it's a whole, you know, hour conversation just to get into like dialing in a morning routine and best practices Mm -hmm. and all those things. But I thought yeah. it'd been, this has been a great conversation to cover kind of the wave tops of the, I mean, it's probably like five or six different hour long topics that we've been able to yeah. spend a little bit of time on each one. Yeah, exactly. And and I usually like to leave with a tactic, but I think we hit on, on a couple of tactics there at the end that people could do, you know, giving value back to your real estate agents is huge. So I do think this is one of the most important topics that, that, that gets talked about sometimes, but it gets talked about a lot more at like the high, high levels of, of the industry, right? At the, you know, top producers, those guys are always talking about mindset. I think, you know, when you're dealing with kind of like on the come up, like there's a lot of people that, that are negative and obviously we're not in a hard market. So there's a lot of, uh, it's very easy to fall into uh, to being in that sort of victim mindset. Poor me, the market, this, the market, that. And uh, one thing that I'll say is when I was an account executive, uh, one of my old bosses used to say, control what you can control, control what you can control. And I used to get so mad at him. It just used to make me so mad because I was like, the company's doing this and this is happening here and this is happening here. And then obviously I went off on my own and started my own business and I realized, oh wait, that's actually the only thing you can control is is, you know, your own actions, your own, your own thoughts, your own, you know, the, the way you perceive challenges and things like that. So, you know, the, the truth is 
yeah, we're in a hard time. Um, you know, as Mike even mentioned, we're, he's down this year. And most, most people I've talked to are down 30 to 50, if not more percent this year. Like it's just the reality of the market we're in, but you also see most of those guys that are doing well still. It's all about mindset. It's all about preparing. It's all about, Hey, you know what? We're just working towards, uh, you know, a refi potential refi boom here in the next couple of months, but then also purchases. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity that comes out of times like this, as long as you view it the right way. So I, I really do believe my biggest takeaways came down to, you know, all the mindset stuff we talked about, you know, towards the beginning, just kind of working through, you know, what are your internal beliefs working through, you know, morning routines, things like that. And then vision. I think, again, like you said, vision to me is, was hard for me as well. And I find myself avoiding it sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, because, because it is, it doesn't feel as productive because you're kind of just sitting there and you're just thinking, you're just sitting there. You're not doing things, right? You're not, you know, whatever calling someone, you're not, you're not responding to an email. Those things feel productive. Um, but you know, if you, if you look at the, I think it's John Covey's quadrants, it falls into like the urgent, but not important, or what is the urgent and important or it's the important, but not urgent. Yeah. is what it falls into the, the vision and planning and things like that. Right. So, uh, it's important, but it's not like it doesn't have to be done today. And so you kind of push it off, but that's one of the most important things you can do. So thank you so much, Mike, for being here. Any parting words of wisdom before we kind of close it out? You know, I would say there's, we can't control the markets, but we can control how we respond to the markets. That's number one. Number two would be the, I think three of the most powerful words that exist in the English language are, I am responsible. And when you say that, you start to rewire your mind to stop being a victim and start to think solution-oriented. I am responsible. No matter what happens, I'm 100% responsible for my actions and how I move forward. And then something I tell my youngest uh, my youngest boy when I drop him off at school, it's summer now, but I'd say, Caleb, be an ace today. Be an ace. Mm-hmm. And ace stands for bring your best attitude, live with courage, and bring your best effort. And that's all you have control over. And if you do that every single day, the results over time will take care of themselves and be way better off than if you don't have a great attitude, live with courage and bring your best effort. So those are, those are my parting thoughts. Amazing, man. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mike, for, for being here and, and for sharing your wisdom with us. I feel like we have to do a follow-up here. One of these, uh, one of the next couple of months, cause, uh, that there was so much content that we probably could have talked about, but thank you so much for, for really just giving us a, a depth of knowledge that, that you have. It's, it's incredible what you've been able to accomplish in your career. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to, to bless us with your knowledge. Uh, appreciate that. And for everybody who's listening, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, to grow, to invest in yourself. Uh, and if you are interested in learning how to flip the status quo on real estate agents and learn how we can help you with that, go to flip the status Thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the loans on demand podcast on loans on demand podcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.